1: Why is this Anthony Davis trade so confusing? Can the Lakers still sign another star? How does this affect the rest of the league? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on the show friend of the Breakdown, Jeff Siegel who is a writer for earlybirdrights.com and is the resident expert with us today on talking about how the salary cap works and what's going on with the Lakers and AD and all of that. So, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it because I think there's a lot of confusion, and I think it, it might center around exactly like what the Lakers might have understood about this deal and what they needed to get done and not get done because it sounds like it's still a
0: deal that's in flux. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, certainly almost everything is in flux. You know, there's even some speculation that they might, you know, change the trade altogether at this point. I mean, until it goes through, either on July 6th or July 30th or whenever, you know, everything technically can still be in flux. And so, you know, I think... The biggest thing right now is when the trade is going to go through. This is not something we normally think about with trades. We usually just, you know, if they're during the season, they happen immediately. Or if they're during this this sort of part of the offseason, they happen as soon as the moratorium ends on July 6th. But this one is a little different because, you know, the Lakers can, they can go in a different direction in terms of, you know, if they if they put the trade through on July 30th, they have this extra eight, nine million dollars in cap space, call it. It's you know about eight point nine million dollars that they would have extra if they move the trade back to July 30th. The there's sort of conflicting ideas as to whether the Lakers knew this or you know didn't realize that how this was going to work. And then, you know, how you know how much can they how much do they need to give up to the Pelicans in order to Get this trade, you know, to move to get moved back from July sixth to the July thirtieth. Right now, the reporting is that they are going to go through with it on the sixth, which will give them between twenty-four and twenty-seven, you know, twenty-seven to twenty-eight million dollars in cap space. That's not enough to sign a big-time free agent, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Kemba Walker, whoever they, whoever they want to to sign with that money. They need to to get some more money to to make that deal happen. So they're trying to. Get off of a lot of their other salary. Mo Wagner, um, Jamario Jones, Isaac Bonga, maybe even Kyle Kuzma, if they have to. So you know that's that's sort of where we're at right now. This changes, you know, almost every day. The you know right now we're sort of not sure what's going to happen, how they're going to to structure all this. So that's sort of where we're at right now.
1: Okay, so let me get this straight. So what is the significance of July thirtieth? Why does that date
0: loom large for them? They have to wait until then. So the. The two ways that this trade happens is either they take Anthony Davis into cap space, which they're going to have as of July 6th, but that lowers their available cap space because he takes up a lot of their space. Instead, what they could do is use all of that space as if they're not even going to make the AD trade. So Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, they're still on the roster for the entire month of July. They make the number four draft pick on behalf of the Pelicans. They sign that guy on July 1st, but when you sign a draft pick, you cannot trade him for 30 days, so that's the significance of July 30th. You, you sign him on July 1st, then July 30th you can make that trade. The the difference is with the draft picks is that when you trade a draft pick who has not been signed yet, that guy counts for $0 in the trade math. Whereas if you wait until he's signed 30 days later, he counts for his $7.1 million for the number four overall pick. And that helps because then they can match the salary for Anthony Davis, and then they can go over the cap to get Davis. So they use all of their cap space. They trade Ingram, Ball, Hart, and the number four pick, which now counts at seven point one million. That matches up with Anthony Davis's salary. Anthony Davis comes in over the cap, and everybody goes home happy.
1: Okay, so I, right because it's via trade, you can go over the cap via trade.
0: Yes, if you match the salary, so you have to match it within twenty five percent either either direction. And so since Anthony Davis makes thirty-one million dollars after his trade bonus, you need to get to about twenty-four point eight, I believe it is, million dollars. But that works as long as you have the seven point one from the uh, from the number four overall pick. Okay, so I, I think I'm starting to get it. And it
1: feels like okay, so the the, the that's the ideal scenario as far as math goes. But what it's, I think that the criticism of the Lakers might be is that someone might have not thought, oh my goodness, all the good free agents are going to be signed by July 30th. That's
0: the issue we have, right? Well, that's not because the Lakers, if the Lakers were to go through with it on July 30th, they would have $32 million in cap space on July 6th and they could sign Kawhi Leonard immediately. Uh, As soon as July 6th hits, they could sign that free agent and then on July 30th go through oh. with the with the trade. So it's okay. not it's not that they would have not had money until July 30th. They actually would have had more money throughout the month of July and then by July 30th they need to be done constructing their roster because at that point the trade goes through and they're over the cap.
1: Okay. So that that seems that, that okay, so that what, what what's the
0: nature of the criticism then? It seems like why would not why wouldn't that work for them smoothly? That that works for them perfectly well as long as they negotiate that with the Pelicans because from the Pelicans' point of view, if they can get the trade to go through on July 6th, that makes the Lakers worse, which makes their future picks better. You know, uh-huh. So that's what the Pelicans want. The Pelicans don't want the trade to go through on July 30th because they have an active incentive to not help the Lakers be good, they don't want a max free agent to go to the Lakers. They'd rather the Lakers be bad, and the Lakers have only 24 million instead of 32 million in cap space to use, because that'll make them worse over the long term. That'll make them, you know, that'll make the the draft picks that they got from the Lakers better, you know, down the line in 21 or 22 or whenever those picks come through. That's that's what the that's the the discussion point. And so at this point, it's not totally clear whether. Rob Polinka and David Griffin negotiated back and forth and decided, okay, July 6th is going to be the date, and this is just a point of negotiation that Polinka lost? Or is it something that nobody really thought of? And then now that it's coming out later, the Lakers are sort of realizing, oh, wow, like July 30th would have been great. Like, let's try to make that happen now. But the Pelicans are going to be like, no, like, unless you're going to give us Kyle Kuzma or another first round pick, like, we're not interested in, in helping you make that happen. OK, wow. I Thank you. I think you finally
1: dragged me across the line. I, I'm, I'm, I can visualize that now. I'm sure the listeners can, too. Um, because I guess in theory, this is the only time of year in this really strange, you know, week or two period where the date the trade goes down is an, a factor that perhaps isn't discussed while you're putting together the whole trade. Like, Is that right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's the biggest reason for that is that most trades that go through this time of year. And we saw this with like the Alan Crabb-Torian Prince trade with Brooklyn and Atlanta. We saw this, this morning with uh, Mike Conley going to Utah. When teams are going to use their cap space to take in a trade like this, they are just going to use the, they, they need the cap space to do it. So they just take the, they take the trade as soon as they possibly can on July 6th. So sort of the trades that happen during this period, right before the draft, right after the draft around, you know, in, during the draft, they, almost always go through on July 6th. And there's almost no consideration that you would ever do anything different because you either need the cap space to do it or you don't. And this is the one situation where it could go either way, but it's not clear whether the Lakers and Pelicans talked about that or they just sort of assumed, like everybody else would, that something has to go through on July 6th.
1: Right. Okay. So here's the question. Um, What happens if the Pelicans... I mean, is there a chance the Pelicans can call this thing off if they don't get the hard July 5th deadline? Is the 5th is that
0: what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it would be technically both sides can just say we're not going to do this trade anymore. Like if if they if they have this sticking point over July 6th versus July 30th and they just can't come to any sort of agreement, then that's it. I mean, maybe they could pull out of this. It's not something that happens very often. I would not expect you know, once a trade is widely reported like this, it's usually done uh, whether the, the Lakers can cobble together enough money to either increase their salary cap space on July 6th before the trade goes through or convince the Pelicans to do it. I think the the baseline is if the Lakers can't get anything done that they want to get done, it'll still go through on July 6th as previously agreed. But technically, under the rules, there's nothing that says the Lakers can be There's nothing that says either side cannot just pull out and say, all right, then we just won't do this trade. There's no question pairing
1: Anthony Davis in his prime with LeBron James moving out of his is a big gamble, especially if they can't sign another big name like they hope. If you're the kind of person who gets excited about gambles like this, then you must check out betonline.ag and put some money down on some games. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's plenty of value from game to game in such a long season. Even better, because you're a loyal listener to this pod, we're giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com bball and use code CLNS50. A minimum deposit of 25 bucks is required to qualify, and then your bonus is added onto your balance within seconds. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses by heading over to BetOnline.ag bball. And don't forget to use the code CLNS50 for your 50% bonus on your first ever deposit. Okay, so let's walk through that scenario. Uh, they, they, nothing happens uh, as far as, you know, the Lakers aren't going to budge anymore. The Republicans are like, fine, it has to happen on July 6th. So, when that happens, and the trade comes in now like like we just reiterate, the Lakers no longer will have uh, a max slot.
0: Yes, that's true. They will have either twenty three point seven or twenty seven point seven million dollars in cap space, and that depends on whether Anthony Davis wants his full four point one million dollar uh, trade bonus if he wants all of his money, which he's earned and certainly deserves as a, as a as a super max player. He, you know, they'll, they'll have less cap space to use because that amount will go on their books for next year. If he decides, no, I'd rather help the team get better, then they'll get that $4 million back. The, the Pelicans won't have to pay him that $4 million because the, the money for the trade bonus comes from the old team, but it goes on the new team's books, if that makes sense. So the Pelicans pay it out, but the Lakers are responsible for it from, from a cap space point of view. Fair enough. Um, right. And that, and that trade
1: bonus simply means when you're at a certain stature in the league, if you get traded, you get extra money
0: basically yeah it's all negotiated into a contract so anybody can get a trade bonus technically but it's usually pre- preserved for the top guys everybody you know who signs a ma- you know a max contract and deserves like even more than that but they're not allowed to give it to him this is the sort of bonuses that they can put on the top trade bonuses player options all sorts of uh, of stuff to make it so that the player has even more of an incentive to sign it this is something that anthony davis negotiated back when he signed with the pelicans the first time he just you know he negotiated a 15 percent trade bonus so he deserves that money from that point of view but it's just whether he you know really wants it or can give it up to make the team a little bit better
1: OK, so let's let's walk through now. So they let's just pretend he does waive the trade bonus.
0: So now they have an extra four million bucks. They got twenty eight million and whatever. What do they do with that money? I mean, they they can pretty much. I mean, it's just it's just open cap space. They can do whatever they want with it. They can probably in that situation, they might be able to hold on to Reggie Bullock because his early bird or his full bird uh Cap hold is, is only about 4 or $5 million, so they could hold on to him, use up the rest of that space, and then sign him after afterwards in order to exceed the cap with him. So that would be something to look into. They would have – I mean, if they want to go full cap space, they'd have $28 million. They just have to fill out the rest of their roster with $28 million plus the room exception for about $5 million and then – the uh, minimum salaries for, for the rest. And so, you know, they don't have very many players under contract at this point. You know, they have LeBron and AD and Kuzma and Mo Wagner and uh, Isaac Bonga. If Jamario Jones, you assume, is out in, in this scenario, they've got 10 roster spots to fill and, uh, you know, very little money to do so. Well,
1: uh, to quote uh, Samuel L. Jackson from Pulp Fiction, if we're talking about who they're going to fill out the roster for, I would quote him as saying, go on.
0: <laughs> who are they I mean, going to sign they don't have i mean obviously they're, they're going to be out of the the running for the max guys. so it's really going to be can they find 10 million dollars for danny green is that going to be enough or does it take 12 million dollars i mean every dollar is going to count for them so if it takes 12 million dollars for danny green and they want jj reddick maybe for another 15 million dollars like that's 27 right there so like you know it's it's you know if they want higher end role players there's going to be fewer of them and then they're going to have to hit on some of their minimum signings or they can sort of try to spread it out even more and go like five to six million dollars for a bunch of different guys but they, I mean they just have so many roster spots to fill that it's it's really it's really going to be difficult for them to do this if the I mean if we had, if we pivot back to when the trade goes through say on July 30th then they have the same problem because even if they sign a max guy. Then they really have no money to fill out the roster. Then it's really just minimums in the room exception because they would take up all of their space on Kemba Walker or Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, that would be a preferable route because those guys are really good. But, the, you know, that would make filling out the rest of the rotation even more difficult. You know, we, we're seeing teams able to put together these big
1: threes, maybe even like big fours kind of sort of ish, iffy, ish, ish, ish. Uh, and, and not be enough. The Sixers didn't do it this year. They couldn't win. Uh, the Warriors didn't do it either. I mean, they have a, some some exceptions. But they also, you know, they were struggling a little bit. Even when KD went down, they still had the three. Um, so I'm wondering, and certainly I, I just, it doesn't seem like it's a great recipe for the Lakers. Even if they get that third and they have minimum guys after that, it just feels like it's not going to work
0: anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think the, one, the biggest thing that we've sort of seen over the last few years is that depth is almost more important than star power in some circumstances. There's, there's an inflection point to where your star power can't overcome another team's depth. And, I mean, that's what Toronto was all about. They had one superstar. They had a couple of, of secondary stars in Kyle Lowry and uh, Pascal Siakam. And then everybody else was just depth pieces. But they went eight deep with guys who could play for you in the NBA Finals. And that was what was important for them. And that's how they won. You know, they would win those minutes at the beginning of the second and fourth quarters when Curry would sit. And that's how they won this this title. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard and, and him being brilliant had a lot to do with that as well. But, you know, that's they were able to hold their own hold their own against the the Golden State starters and then kill their bench and that's how you know that's how Toronto was able to be successful against them against Milwaukee against Philadelphia they were deeper than everybody else so if we start to see teams move away from the soup you know the multiple superstar model and really just get one or two superstars and then fill out the rest of the roster with with role players I think that would be for me, that would be better for the health of the league. That would be better for the 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 watchability of these games, where there's not just one or two guys were unbelievable, and then the rest of the guys are, you know, Sean Livingston and Alphonso McKinney. Like it's just those guys were were rough out there. You know, it's those guys were not capable. Were not really capable of of being NBA Finals caliber caliber players. So, you know, I think it would be better for the the league as a whole if we moved in that direction. And I think if the Lakers, even if the Lakers had supermax money, $32 million to to pay out to, you know, unless they could get literally Kawhi Leonard, it might be better for them to split that money up over three $10 million players a, instead of, of going big on one $32 million player.
1: All right, pop quiz. Um, does Kemba Walker take $28 million?
0: Probably not, only because, I mean, he can get $38 million from the Charlotte Hornets, because he made All-NBA, he can get five years and $220 million. And if he decides to sign for $28 million in in Los Angeles over a four-year contract, he's giving up, literally giving up $100 million. Okay. And like, you don't see guys walk away from $100 million for anything. I mean, I know it would be helpful for him in terms of you know winning a ring uh, in his career, but I mean, when you really put a hundred million dollars on the table, it's—I mean—it's hard for anybody to walk away from that kind of money. Okay. Does Jimmy
1: Butler take twenty-eight million dollars?
0: That's a more interesting circumstance, especially if he's not convinced that Philadelphia is the best place for him to win. You know, long-term, it seems like he's. Because the difference there is not quite as much, because Philly, you know, doesn't have the supermax available to, to pay him the $38 million plus over the, the course of their five-year contract. The difference money-wise is not that much more. And he would obviously have a much better chance to win in Los Angeles. Maybe, you know, Philadelphia was very good. I mean, Philadelphia was 50-50 to beat the Toronto Raptors. You know, if that shot falls out, they go to overtime. They're probably, you know, 45% chance to win. And then you can say that they were, you know, just as good, if not just, a you know, just just this much worse than the eventual champions. So, like, I'm not sure that Jimmy Butler can look at L.A. and be like, yeah, that's a better situation for me than than Philly. Uh,
1: OK, great point. Now, uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else because I feel like Tobias Harris would be a little bit more redundant. They don't need that. Yeah, uh, I, even heard, I heard Al Horford, you know, suddenly come up yesterday. Like, that they that's the one guy they don't need, I would think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine Anthony Davis is going to play center and you would want to play LeBron at the four, just, you know, preserve his body a little bit. So I'm not sure how Anthony, how Al Horford sort of fits into all of that, you know, especially because he's got more, you know, he's got the, the higher experience level, so you can pay him up to $38 million. I'm not sure he's going to find $38 million from anybody. But if, you know, if you wanted to spend $25 million on Al Horford, I'm not sure that that necessarily makes you that much better over spending the same money on you know somebody who's a little bit lower down the the overall talent rankings but is a better fit on the wing or at the point guard spot
1: for sure there's no question they need shooting that's why like even mo Wagner, who i i was impressed with at the end of the season although they weren't playing for anything and he they weren't he was just getting you know minutes against uh, other teams that weren't playing with the, what they needed to do so it's hard to tell for that but they need shooting uh, you mentioned some other guys who maybe they could fill out. So, like, who do you think is the top of the list and who do you think might want to do it? So you mentioned Danny Green and, and J.J. Redick. And I guess those two guys, even though it's redundant because they're the
0: same position, would the Lakers want both of them? I mean, if you can sign both of them, I think that would be a very good use of their of their money because – especially because defensively I think it would work with Danny Green being able to defend point guards and JJ Redick you just sort of hide him wherever you need to hide him and you have Anthony Davis with with his defensive capabilities in the middle trying to you know make up for whatever Redick you know loses on that end and you can never have enough high level shooting you know you have Redick and green coming off of screens on either side of the floor. And then LeBron's got the whole paint open to him because everybody's freaked out about the shooters. You know, I think that would be a, uh, a, a recipe for success offensively. And then the fact that Redick and, and green can coexist defensively makes, uh, makes a lot of sense on that front.
1: Okay. Now it sounds to me like Danny green, his decision must be completely tied to Kawhi Leonard's decision, right? He's not, if Kawhi stays in Toronto, then Danny green is going to stay in Toronto, right?
0: I would, Think so, but it's not—it's not necessarily true that they, those guys are tied at the hip. I'm not sure, you know, whether Danny Green is is absolutely going to follow Kawhi wherever he ends up. If Kawhi goes to the the Clippers, is is Danny Green going to follow him there? I'm not sure whether whether Danny wants you know wants to just follow Kawhi and thinks, okay, this guy's the best player in the league right now. I should just hitch my wagon to him and and you know see how that goes, or should he? you know, try to find a little, you know, if there's more money elsewhere, if there's a better chance to, to play with LeBron James than Anthony Davis, like maybe he's more interested in that. He's, you know, he came through the Spurs system, but is not necessarily sort of the, the buttoned up, you know, San Antonio Spur that you sort of think about. So like maybe he's got some, some different, you know, different ideas about what he wants. So, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily he, if, if Kawhi goes back, is he necessarily going to go back to Toronto? I think they would be the front runners for him, but I'm not sure that it's like absolutely a done deal.
1: Fair enough. I'm, I'm just trying to think like, you know, that kind of guarantees them certainly a really good shot at defending the title. But then again, you know, Greens won two titles as well. So um, maybe, yeah, it's time to, to do something else. So that's interesting. Anybody else we might be thinking about that uh, is a free agent that they could sign that's not a max that could shoot?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're looking at it's especially like the point guard spot. I think that's where some of the, the the shooters are would be most interesting because maybe you can get a little bit of point guard defense and a little bit of shot making. I mean, I know Patrick Beverly yeah. would be a, a really nice fit. Obviously, like that's a that's a name that's popped up a lot in the in the last couple of days. He would be a great fit as a as a defensive player and somebody who can knock down a shot. He's not going to create his own three point shot, but like you've got enough creators on this team with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You just need guys stand in the corner and, and make those shots. And so, you know, I think Beverly would be a really good fit there. What's you know, his,
1: what's his value?
0: His value is probably a little bit lower even than Redick and green. I would imagine you could probably, you know, nab him for eight to $10 million a year, even though he would be a starter level player. You know, I, I don't know that he's going to have the market at the, you know, 14, $15 million range.
1: Fair enough. I mean, I, I love him. I think he's he would really, really help them because defensively they need that without question uh, with LeBron doing what he's going to do on defense, which we know. And then AD, I, I'm not even really honestly sold on AD. I know he's blocked a lot of shots. Um, I don't know. I, there's something about me that about his defense that gnaws at me, but I'm not sure what, what it is exactly. But um, they're going to need some other defenders that could shoot. Again, they're going to need the one position that every single team in the NBA will overbid for, I think, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that's the, the the three and D wings, the three and D point guards to an extent. Though that's the the rarest set of skills in the league, other than like you know your your superstars. But like among role players, guys who can hit shots and play defense, like that's everything. That's what everybody wants. That's what everybody is looking for. So it's you know it's it's hard to to say like oh they're definitely gonna get you know th- these guys who who can shoot and play defense. Because everybody's going to want those guys, and if they don't have enough money to to spread it around, you know it, it, that's going to be a problem for them. What's uh, Trevor Ariza's deal right now? He's, I mean, he's going to be a free agent in uh, after his one year contract in Phoenix, and then in Washington, that would be a really good addition for the Lakers. We know that he he's interested in he was interested in going back there last year after after the Suns thing you know worked out about as poorly as you can imagine. So, you know, he ended up in Washington. He seems to be you know happy in Washington. He said you know, that he would be happy to come back to Washington, you know, but if LeBron and Anthony Davis give him a call and like, hey, we could really use you, you know, maybe he's one of those guys who would be interested in taking a pay cut to come play for a winner. So even though he's worth more than the $4.8 million room exception, that might be a a real, a real realistic target for them on the, on the room exception.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Although they, I'm sorry, because he's not, he's a free agent, right?
0: Yeah, he's just a, a unrestricted free Okay.
1: Agent. Yeah, to me it seems like I would I would put more value on an Ariza than I would like on a Redick.
0: Yeah, I mean Ariza can defend at a, at a reasonably high level compared to JJ Redick. Obviously, he doesn't have the the off screen gravity. He doesn't have the, the the you know floor spacing gravity that that a guy like Redick has, who is going to open things up for Anthony Davis and LeBron James a lot more. Areza, if you're, you know, if you're picking your poison, you're going to guard those, you know, they are big too and let Ariza try to beat you. We, you know, we saw how that worked out for for Houston last year against the Warriors, like those those kinds of guys who are sort of hit and miss from the three-point line who you don't necessarily have to guard in a playoff series when you have to guard LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You know, he's going to have to hit shots to be to be worthwhile whereas Redick doesn't even have to touch the ball to be a, a very key offensive piece. He can just stand in the corner or run around off screens and all of a sudden everybody's freaking out about him and things are more open for everybody else.
1: For sure. And and by the way, CP3 is stuck in this situation, right? He's not going
0: anywhere. He's I mean he's not stuck stuck, but it's he's not coming to the Lakers. They don't have the kind of space for him. He's making thirty eight million dollars. There's no there's no real conception that they could get him and Anthony Davis in the same trade. It's possible, but it's very unlikely. It would really take, um, I mean, it would i would honestly take him being cut, which makes no sense because he's got three years left on his contract, and that never happens, you know, unless you're Josh Smith. Um, <laughs> th- those things just don't happen for, for guys who are making that much money with that many years left on their contract.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. And uh, then not even connected to the Lakers necessarily, but it sounds like that situation is coming to a boil. And uh, I don't think that there's any hope they can. Because I, I think the other point is, no one will trade for Chris Ball at that at that money. It just would never be worth it. It was never worth it the second he signed the deal. I would think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly hasn't hasn't worked out for them so far. I mean, you had to because of the way that the first trade the trade went down to get him in 2017. The 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 sort of understanding was like we're going to trade for you if you opt in and give up a little bit of money and we'll take care of you next year. They took care of him, but now it's you know that's coming to bite them a little bit. If they had won the title, obviously in 2018 or 2019, everything would have been fine and nobody would be complaining. But you know things didn't didn't fall their way. Obviously the three point shots in 2018 didn't fall, and then in 2019 they they were unable to to capitalize on on Kevin Durant's injury. So you know it's you can see why those those guys are probably a little bit unhappy with with one another, obviously it, it seems to me as just a, a, a nobody who just likes to play with my friends that watching a guy dribble around for 20 seconds out of your 24 second shot clock and then throw the ball to you with four seconds left and hope that you can create something if he can't that would be hard to do. Like, it's just hard to play next to James Harden and be successful and be in a rhythm and all that stuff. And, you know, he's obviously a, a fantastic talent. He's somebody who you want the ball in his hands all the time. But when it's literally in his hands all the time, it can be difficult for a guy like Chris Paul to sort of get in his own rhythm.
1: I agree. And I also I understand why I sympathize with Chris Paul wanting, like, offense. He wants to run pin downs, into handoffs, into ball screens, like all the things that make it easier for him to score and open up and set up other teammates uh, is not there. I, I suppose you're right. They, they almost did it. They had it. They were right there until he went down, um, and, and it, they made it work. But um, I think that's the point. I think we learned in the NBA that winning hides a lot of, uh, of terrible stuff. And when it, if and when you win, all of a sudden, those things that are there that, it, that would definitely be a, 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 a cancer for most teams isn't because they won. I bet you the Warriors probably have similar, you know, stories too that we don't really know too much about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that they I mean, we heard a little bit of rumblings about how Draymond Green and Kevin Durant would get into it about Durant's free agency, you know, this year and you know, everything was sort of contentious there for a little while and then they got into the playoffs and they started rolling and everything was fine and then of course the injuries hit and so now you know things are a little bit different but if they had won the title this year if they had stayed fully healthy and won the title we would not I don't think we'd be hearing that much about any of this stuff and you know the fact that they got hurt and the fact that that sort of the the Warriors can feel like oh we could have done this also helps to alleviate any of those bad feelings but winning cures everything. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate sort of uh, uh, mediator between guys who, who may not have gotten along before. If you win together, nothing really matters.
1: For sure. Well, we, we all win for being smarter listening to you break this down for us today, Jeff. I can't thank you enough for doing that. Uh, let us know, where, where can we follow you on Twitter and everything?
0: You can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel or at Early Bird Rights on Twitter. Earlybirdrights.com is your home for everything salary cap related. All 30 teams have uh, have their cap sheets up on Early Bird Rights. Plus, I uh, have trade breakdowns, offseason previews, player rankings, draft boards, just everything that you need to know going into the offseason is up there on Early Bird Rights.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and doing that for us. I'm now My, my, my mind is much clearer after that, so thank you for that. And uh, we'll have to check in with you again because there's going to be a lot of craziness going on this summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, free agency is going to be nuts. Uh, we can uh, definitely do this again in a couple of weeks once we sort of have a, have a better idea of where everybody's going to end up. For sure. And now
1: we always say that. We always hope that it's going to be crazy and nuts, but this is definitely – I think it's really clear this will be nuts, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, but between the Anthony Davis thing and now Mike Conley getting traded and now Al Horford and Kyrie Irving on the move almost assuredly at this point. I mean, there's so many moving parts. You know, it's it's just under 50% of of all the players in the NBA are free agents this summer. There's a lot of money to go around. There's a lot of guys who are going to be changing teams this summer. So it's going to be really interesting to just sort of wrap your head around, okay, now this team's rotation looks totally different than it did last year. And it's going to be like that for 20 out of the 30 teams.
1: Wow. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned for that. And thank you for being on here. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jeff? Yeah, Absolutely.